Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at, uh, at King's Church, and it's uh, my great privilege to lead the team. It's great to welcome as well um, Sheila and Sue, who will also be sharing uh, a little bit this morning. Uh, so, why don't you give them a round of applause? You give... It also gives me a chance to think while you're clapping what I'm going to say next, which is, uh, which is good. This morning we're going to be looking at the worth of human life. We're going to be looking at when life begins and some associated things linked to our Reflect ministry and that's um, when Sheila and Sue are going to be uh, sharing. Now we know that this is a massive um, area and that emotions uh, do, do run do run high when we're thinking about these big subjects. And I must admit, over the last couple of weeks, I've thought a number of times as to the wisdom of doing this morning. And yet I feel that it's so important that we look at these issues. We look to see what does the Bible say about these things, but also that we talk about things like how the baby does develop in the womb so that we we understand these things and we look to try and link biology and theology together in our understanding. And so my hope this morning is that we'll be able to approach this um, subject with courage, but also with compassion. And that the grace of God will come and sweep in whatever our background, whatever our situation, that we would know something more of the love of God and his grace and mercy to meet us at whatever position we find ourselves this morning. There There is no one that is too far away from God that he cannot reach out and express his love and his compassion in this season and at this time. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite Otto to come and he's just going to share his testimony. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and rest here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you'd still our hearts. I pray, Lord, that the enemy's accusations would be far away this morning and that the voice we would hear is your voice and the truth we would understand is your truth. I pray, Lord, that this morning would be a morning of freedom and liberty, of grace and mercy. I ask you, Lord God, that we would communicate clearly this morning and that we would grow in our understanding and our consciences would be affected by your word. We ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Otto, could you please come and share um, your story? September just last year, um, my wife Jackie and I found out that uh, she was pregnant, um, which was a lovely surprise. We weren't expecting it, but um, obviously fantastic news for us. Um, And at the 12-week scan, we went along for the usual kind of experience of seeing pretty pictures of baby on a scanner for the very first time. Um, And that was where we saw or met our baby for the first time. And... It was also the end of that 12-week period, which is a sort of a worrying time when you know, we knew, okay, you know, things are good and, and we can tell everybody now, we can break the news to our friends and family. Um, and things went on as normal. And then at, at 20 weeks, uh, we went back for another scan. It's actually at 21 weeks. Um, and at 20 weeks, they can tell you the sex of the baby if you want to find out. Um, we didn't, because we're quite old-fashioned that way. We, we thought, no, we don't want to know. Um, and we went along, and again, you know, I came straight from work, and, and Jackie did as well, and we, we went along thinking, oh, this is lovely, we're going to see some more pictures of our baby. Um, and, and it was lovely at the start, you know, the, the um, lady doing the scan was using lots of words like, oh, beautiful, beautiful, lovely, lo- oh, yeah, lovely, 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 all of this. And we're looking at these fantastic pictures on the screen. Um, 
and suddenly her tone changed. Um, and she took a measurement, and they have to measure the sort of length of the limbs and the bones, etc. And she said, one of the bones looks a little bit short. Um, and she asked us to leave and, and go for a little five-minute walk around the hospital. Now, you can imagine how we felt. We're wandering around the hospital thinking, hang on a minute. You know, I mean, there's part of us that's absolutely panicking, thinking, what, what does this mean? What, you know, is there something wrong? And then, of course, we're sort of trying to console ourselves, saying, well, what, what does she mean short? You know, Jack is short. <laughs> so what if the baby's going to be a little bit short? I mean, I, yeah. what, what difference does that make? So we went back to the scan room, and, and she said, well, I'm not too sure about this. Don't worry too much. We're, I've co contacted a specialist, um, a lady who covers East Sussex, and she'd like to come back and, and see you in a couple of hours' time at the end of the afternoon. So we were sent away. And we had to get on with things. Jackie had to go and do the school run. I had to go back to work. Um, and then at the end of the afternoon, we kind of finished work, went back to the hospital again, met uh, another lady, a, a specialist consultant, who hooked Jackie up to another scanner. Um, now, if you've seen baby scans, I mean, they're, they're quite amazing in the detail that you can see. But the scanner that, we, that Jackie was put onto the second time was, was an a incredibly high-tech thing. It's a 3D scanner. Um, and this is where you know, we really got to see our baby in amazing detail. Um, you know, we got to see his face very, very clearly. Um, and, well, uh, that was the point, I say his face, that was the point at which we found out that he was a boy because we actually couldn't avoid finding out at that point. It was in such good detail. That, um, <laughs> so we looked at these, again, fantastic images of our baby. Um, but we had it confirmed at that point as well that um, what he had was a condition um, which is called dysplasia, um, which is basically a kind of, it means dwarfism. Um, and so our child was going to be a dwarf. Um, and, of course, that, even the word dwarf is very, very emotive. We, we went home that evening, this was a Friday evening, and we stayed up all night talking, crying, holding each other, thinking about what exactly this, this meant to us. Um, and I'd, I ran the full gauntlet of emotions. I, th I think Jackie was just sort of absolutely you know, stunned. But I'd, I actually got angry, but probably for about 20 minutes. Um, I really felt anger and I, and I felt sadness. And mainly it was just that it felt so unfair that this baby that we were going to bring into the world was going to be at such a massive disadvantage as far as we could see it. And then we came to terms with it. And I know that sounds crazy that in one night you can come to terms with something, but we, we started thinking, well, we can't see this as a, as a handicap. You know, he, he is going to have a disability, but we've, you know, we've just got to accept that and give him the best life that we can possibly give him. Um, and so that's what we decided to do. We, we, by Saturday morning, we were feeling so much better, and, and we just thought, no, okay, he's going to be short, but that means he's just going to be a little bit shorter than most people, and that means he's going to be a little bit cuter for a lot longer. And we're quite happy with that. Um, the next day, we were supposed to go up to Jackie's parents for a sort of late Christmas, um, and her brother was over from Africa, and it was all, you know, something to look forward to. But, you know, we had these kind of mixed feelings as well because we, we had to break the news to them. Um, but we got a phone call first thing in the morning from the consultant saying that, she'd been looking at the scans overnight and she wanted us to come back. Um, so we went back in first thing on Saturday morning and at this point she, she revealed to us, again, we, we were hooked up, more scans, got to see the baby again, and she told us that actually she thought that the baby had a condition called thanatophoric dysplasia, um, which, I mean, Tino, uh, Santino might know here, that, uh, thanatophoric is actually Greek, um, it means death beckoning. Um, and it means it's a lethal kind of dysplasia, um, basically because the chest doesn't fully develop. The bones of the chest don't develop, which means that the chest cavity is actually almost entirely taken up by the heart um, and the lungs don't have space to develop. Um, so while the baby's inside Jackie's belly, he's absolutely fine, you know, he's like a little water baby in there, developing in every other way, completely normally, his brain, his heart, his organs. Um, but once out in the world, out in the air, um, he wouldn't have much chance of breathing. Um, so we knew that his life would be short. 
Um, and we didn't know exactly what that meant, whether that was minutes, hours, days, we didn't know. But, but we knew that his life would be short. Um, so the next few weeks were a sort of a mixture of normality, of, of getting back to work and, and family stuff, but then also lots and lots of scans and consultants and a, a trip up to London to St. Thomas's to see specialists, etc. Um, and it was around this time that God told us that this experience was something that we really couldn't avoid. Um, I don't know if any of you who read children's books will know the quote where you, you, know, you, can't, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you can't go round it, you've just got to go through it. <laughs> and that was what God told us about this experience. We, we were going to be walking through fire um, and it was going to hurt. But at this time, we, we, Jackie had a, a vision of, of um, a story from the book of Daniel, um, the story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, which some of you may know, um, where they're thrown into a furnace and they're walking around inside the fire and there's a fourth person in that fire with them which is the image of God, and God is walking with them in the fire. And when they're brought out of the fire, they, not only are they not burnt, not only are they not smoking, but they don't even smell of smoke. They come out completely unscathed. And that's what God promised us. We had to go through the fire, but afterwards we would come out of that fire completely unscathed and we wouldn't even smell of smoke. Um, on May the 9th, which is actually the day after Jackie's birthday, um, our son, Oliver Daniel, was born. Um, and he died shortly afterwards in my arms. Um, like all of us, um, he was born, he lived, and he died. He had a life. God knew the number of his days, or, or in his case, of the minutes of his life here on earth. But whatever pain that we went through at the loss of a child was, was nothing compared to the, the, to the love that we felt for our baby um, and the joy that he brought us, the joy that he brought us in his life. I mean, most of his life was spent inside Jackie's tummy and um, his life outside was, was very brief, but he lived before he died and we celebrated a birth before we mourned a death. Um, we walked through the fire and, and God kept his promise. We, we walked through that fire and we came through it and we don't smell of smoke. We're not scarred by this experience. Um, we were humbled by the experience and, and we know that Oliver's short life brought so much to us and, and everybody around us. Um, and now he is with his other father and he's waiting for us there. And we thank God for the life of our son. Pray again. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for Jackie and Otto and their family. Lord, we thank you for Oliver, his precious life. I thank you for your comfort and the strength you have been to them. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with them and be a great strength to them in this, at this time, I pray. Amen. You did very well. Much better than I'm doing. Why are we here? Is there anything different about human beings? Or are we just 
a bit more evolved than other creatures? Is it, is it just a matter of chance? Have we just been a bit more lucky than the rabbit or the elephant? You know, we were a quick, bit quicker to evolve, we were a bit quicker to um, uh, change to the circumstances we found ourselves in. Because these are the sorts of questions that, that, that people are asking all the time. And dependent on how you answer those questions depends on how you view life. And I believe that God answers these questions through the Bible. And so this morning we're going to take time to see what the Bible says. I'm then going to give you all a biology lesson. And I'll tell you one thing, I found, I found the biology part of it an awful lot more challenging to get my head around than the theology part of it. But, but it's so important that we look to merge the two things together. What is going on as a baby develops in the womb? What, and I know there's people here, many of you, who are much more qualified than I on this. But I've worked incredibly hard in my understanding of this over the last three weeks to uh, be able to uh, have some competence in it. But I feel it's so important that we look to link these two things together. Now the way we're going to answer it is not by me asking a question but by me making a statement and then I'm going to back it up. And the statement I'm going to make is this, every human being is of great worth. Every human being on the face of the planet, whether they lived for three minutes or for 93 years, is of great worth. Not dependent on your background, not dependent on your education, not dependent on your intelligence or your strength or your beauty, but every human being is of great worth. And the first reason why I say that, and we find it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 31, is this, because we are created in the image of God. It says in um, uh, verse 27, of Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And then if we drop down to verse 31 it says this, and God saw all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. Do you know that you have been created in the image of God. You may wonder, when the Bible was written, maybe, maybe the Bible should have said that the elephant was created in the image of God because of its size. Or the blue whale. Or maybe you could say that the uh, Pacific Ocean, because it seems to be, if you were put right in the middle of it, how limitless it is, both in its breadth, but also its depth and the life, the teeming life that is within it. Maybe that is a reflection of what God is like. Or maybe the Himalayas, because you could just keep on climbing and climbing and never, in a sense, get to the end of it. Maybe that reflects something of what God is like. Or maybe it's a dove, you know, a dove so gentle and peaceful, you hardly know if it's there. But the Bible says, what best reflects what God is like is you and me. It's us. We have been created in the image of God. We are different from every other creature on the face of the earth. You're not just two steps up from a dog or a couple more from an ape, but you are uniquely created in the likeness of God, as is every human being on the face of the planet. We are made in God's image. At the zenith, at the very top of God's creative activity, God made man and woman. And he made them in his likeness. Do you know that? In some ways, when you read, you, you read the account in Genesis, you could say that, that man is very earthy. In a sense, he came, he, he was moulded out of the earth, but he's also um, uh, amazing in that God breathed his life into him. Only mankind, only men and women reflect God in that way. 
To say that we are made in God's image means we are like God in a number of ways and that we represent him here on earth. In what ways are we like him? We're like him in our ability to reason. We are like him in our understanding of morality, of right and wrong. We are like him in our ability to communicate and language in our capacity for relationships governed by love and commitment, creativity. All of these things mark us out as different from every other creature on the face of the earth. And it's so important that we grasp that every human being is is of great worth. Why? The first reason is because we are created in the image of God. We are not just one step up on the evolutionary ladder. We are distinctly and differently made. Second reason why um, uh, we are of great worth is who has made us. You see, you could give me a canvas and frame it up really nicely and you can give me exactly the same amount of paint in the same colours as some major artist has got but what I come up with will not be of great worth, but what they come up with will be of worth millions and millions of pounds. And the reason it is different from the painting I would do is because of, he is a great artist. I am not. The second reason we have great worth is because we have a great creator who fashions you and he knits you together. You may think, if you've got children here, the, the reason the children are like they are is because of mum and dad. And in some ways that's true for myself and Chloe. We look at our boys and we say, that's a bit like you and this is a bit like me and, oh, this is a bit like our parents. Oh dear. <laughs> and that, that is true, but actually it isn't just that. It says in Psalm 139, verses 16... Sorry, verses 13 through to 16. I'm just going to read it to you. It's a poem, but this talks about how God created it. It says, For you created my inmost being. This is God. God created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you know that it's God that fashions personhood? And only God. God makes people... Do you know that God was massively involved in your beginning? It's not just just your mum and dad. God was involved. You You are a unique person created by God. God himself is the architect and the builder of your life. He is the master craftsman, a most skilled artist who put you together. Humanity started through a special creative act of God. That's how it continues. God's creative purpose. God is the creator. John Piper says this, he's a great theologian of our age. The life of the unborn is the knitting of God. And what he is knitting is a human being in his own image, unlike any other creature in the whole universe. God is the only one who can create personhood. And so as you look around and you're looking at close family or close friends and you may may question God's ability, I want you to put those thoughts to one side and know that only God can create personhood and each of you individually are created by a master craftsman. Yes, he used the natural resources of your mum and dad, but he knit you together. In verse 14, David says about himself, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And that's true for every single one of you. 
You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want to say this again, this is not dependent on your intelligence. It is not dependent on your ability to achieve or create wealth. It isn't dependent on your strength or your beauty. You are of great worth because you are created in God's image and God made you. From the smallest baby, the youngest member of the church that is here, Eli, to to ones about to join us over the next few weeks, to those of you that have been in the church from the very, every single one of us, unique and precious in God's sight. Even fallen, rebellious humanity is fearfully and wonderfully made by a loving creator. And David realises, and it says it in... um, Verse 16, he says, Look, even before my mother knew I existed, God knew. It says, your eyes saw my unformed body. So even before mum knew you were around, God knew you were there. God was at work. What happens in the womb is the making of a person. And then he goes on and says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God's purpose, God's plan for every single one of us as an individual. John Stott says this, the fetus or the baby in the womb is neither a growth in the mother's body nor even a potential human being but already a human life who, though not yet mature, has the potentiality of growing into the fullness of the individual humanity he or she already possesses. Now it's a bit of wordy, it takes a little bit to get your head round, but do you see what he's saying? As a baby grows in a mother's womb, it's not just a growth, it's not just like a lump that may be growing nor is it even a potential human being, but it, but it is a human life who has the potentiality of growing into the fullness of the individual humanity that he or she already possesses. You are of great worth before God because you're made in his image and because he made you. The third thing and the third, third way that this, uh, in a sense I've put here, the ultimate demonstration of worth we see here. We see Jesus Christ coming, taking on flesh, being born as a baby, growing up to live as a man, dying on a cross, because he so values mankind that he couldn't let, if I don't want to be irreverent here, but he couldn't let mankind go into an eternity without him. He sent his son to save us. If you want a demonstration of how important, of how much, of what great worth humanity has that people have, you only need to look at the cross where he was nailed to the cross to pay the price for our rebellion, that we might be able to have a relationship with him. That's the ultimate demonstration of the worth of mankind. That any person, not on the basis of any of those qualifications that I listed earlier, it doesn't matter about any of that stuff, every single person has unique worth in God's sight and he is passionate that he would come to know you, that you would come to know him. He doesn't want any to perish. So if you want to know, are you valuable, you just need to look at the cross to see your great worth with which God values you that he would send his own son to pay the price for your sin. Are you of great worth? Absolutely. And don't let any lie, don't let any person tell you any different. You are uniquely made by the creator of the universe to be just as you are and he loves you. He is passionate for you. And that isn't just restricted to his redeemed people. God is passionate for people full stop, for personhood, for those made in his image. 
John 3, 16, 17, we know it so well. It says, for God so loved the world. He's not, he's not talking about a globe. He's not talking about a lump of earth. He's talking about people. God so loved people, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And, and even if we've made mistakes, in spite of mistakes we've made, even when, maybe when you were coming this morning, there was maybe a sense of dread as you knew what the subject was, thinking... I don't know if I can come. On the cross, Jesus Christ paid the price for every wrong thing we did. He, mercy is available. Free forgiveness is available. None of us have got it right, whether it's proud pastors, rebellious children, Mums and dads who don't get it right get angry with their kids. In a sense, it doesn't matter. There is no sin that can put you outside of a loving grasp of your Father in heaven. We are of great worth. But I want to ask a question. When does that great worth start? When is it that we are of great worth? Is it when we're born? Is it when we reach a stage in the womb of viability? Is it when the egg is fertilised? When, when, when is it that we're of great worth? And what I just want to do very quickly is go through five very quick steps on the whole process from fertilisation to birth to talk about what is happening at each step and then I want to answer that question as best as I can. So the first point is just that fertilisation, this is the biology bit, I know most of you know it, but not, maybe not all of you will be aware of each of these things. First thing, fertilisation, at the start, um, the parents have sex, the sperm penetrates the egg, the nuclear material fuses, at the point of fertilisation, the child's sex, size and shape, colour of skin, hair and eyes, temperament and intelligence, are already determined. It's at that point, within that first 24 hours, all of that is sorted out. The DNA is all there. What starts as a single fertilised cell, 45 generations later, will become a fully grown adult with 30 million million cells. Obviously the fully grown adult, I'm not talking about him being in the womb, the, 30, the first 41 generations occur within the womb. But, so, so sitting here today, most of you have got about 30 million million cells. Some of you a few more, some of you a few less. But right at the very beginning, all of those things are included in that one fertilised cell. At around five to seven days, implantation occurs. That, that is when the fertilised egg implants into the mother's womb. The embryo attaches to the lining of the womb. Implantation connections begin uh, between the mother and the embryo will begin to form, including the umbilical cord. It's, it's at this point the size of a poppy seed. Really, really little. But the brain, the spinal cord, the heart, and I can't pronounce this word, but the gastrointestinal tract also begin to form. I mean, really, really little. It's the size of a poppy seed, but all of that is just at the very beginnings of life. At about two weeks, this, this thing called differentiation occurs. So in the embryo, right at the very beginning, it's, it's lots of cells. After about two weeks, some of these cells start to be, be, be identified as the baby itself whereas other cells go in to make the other bits and pieces. It's a technical term, bits and pieces. You won't, you won't believe how technical that is. 
The Warnock Commission, which was a commission set up by the government about 25 years ago when they were looking at various subjects around this stage of life, they, they identified the 17-day period as the point um, or as the place when the biological beginnings of the body emerge. 17 days after fertilisation. That's early, isn't it? Just over two weeks. Full development occurs somewhere between seven to nine weeks. So what are we looking at there? Seven to nine. Forty-nine days to a few more. Ultrasound has given us a stunning window into the womb that shows the unborn at nine weeks sucking his thumb, recoiling from, from pricking. So, so I don't know if it can feel, a baby would be able to feel pain, but, but certainly they would, they would react to a prod. So I guess probably they do feel pain. Um, uh, responding to sound, remember at nine weeks, responding to sound. All the organs are present, the brain is beginning to function in that sense, the heart is pumping, the liver is making blood cells, the kidneys are cleaning fluids and there is a fingerprint. This is at 49 days. 49, no, a bit more than 49 days, sorry. Viability occurs at around 24 weeks. I don't really like that phrase but that's the technical phrase that is used, that's the next step. This is where... Every, I mean, in some ways at nine weeks everything is present, but at 24 weeks everything is even more present in that sense. But the reason they say viability is because that is when there is a good chance of a baby surviving outside of the womb with medical assistance. I think some babies have survived earlier than that, haven't they? Than 24 weeks, yeah. So it's around 24 weeks. But, but this is a moving, this is a moving thing more dependent... This is more dependent on medical science than it is on the baby itself. So everything there is at 24 weeks that will be at 40 weeks, however it isn't as well developed. It's not, in a sense, such a big baby if born at this point and it will need medical help to survive. And then at around 40 weeks, obviously there is the birth, the baby takes its first breath. In a sense, the baby before it is born around 40 weeks and after it's born, or even at 24 weeks, there is no real difference between them. It's, it's, just, it's just the fact of their location. Now, in, in this country, my understanding is, and I hope I'm, I'm giving you the right facts here, uh, in, in this country, that is when personhood begins. So legally, you get the status of personhood when you're born. It's interesting to note when Freddie was born, he's our youngest son, friends of ours had a baby with the same, around the same due date, but, but he was born five weeks premature. Developmentally, they were in the same place, just Freddie was in, inside of Chloe and this other baby was outside. No, no difference between them in that sense, other than their location. So when, when does life begin? Well, I think first thing, just to briefly say, and I know I'm overrunning, apologies for this, but I, I will finish very quickly. When does life begin? Well, I think the first thing to, 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 to express at this point is there are differing medical views and there are differing theological views in this. So I think the first thing we just need to understand is that good Christian men and women have different perspectives on this and it's good that we understand that. I think the second thing we need to know is that we must approach this subject with lots of compassion and lots of love. And, my, and I, I, I'd be so disappointed if on the back of this, um, in a sense, we, we you know, well, we're going to get all... We're gonna get, we, I want us to be passionate about it, but, but I, I, we've, got, we've, got to, we've got to mix everything we do and everything we say with such compassion and love. My, my view on this is firstly that human life is of great worth and at all stages needs to be nurtured and protected. From what I can tell and what I've read, it seems to me that the work of God begins at fertilisation. That's when it starts. That's when the DNA, all of that is getting worked out in that first 24 hours. And therefore, I feel that I have a responsibility that we protect and we nurture it. And that in no way I look to hinder God's creative work or would I look to stop it. 
when quite personhood happens and, and in a sense when, when that whole thing um, of, 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 uh, of, of, of a baby's developmental and where in a sense that whole sense of a soul and all of those things occur in there, if I'm honest I don't quite know other than I believe it's very, very early. But I believe our responsibility is to protect and nurture life at all stages, whether at the very end of our days or at the very beginning that's how we're to handle it. There is great mystery involved in this. But I'm absolutely convinced that human life, we are of great worth. And it seems to me as I've studied and as I've looked at it that right at the very beginning as the egg is fertilised by the sperm within that first 24 hour period that is where so many things about that life-to-be are agreed. That's where they're sorted out. That from that point we should look to nurture and protect. Sheila, can I hand over to you? Good morning. Um, I'm just going to say a bit about Reflect Itself, um, the name basically, and then Sue's going to tell you a bit more about the uh, pregnancy crisis side of the work, and then I'm going to tell you a bit more about the post-abortion side, just so you know, Sue, as she described, is the filling of the sandwich. Um, we're delighted to have the opportunity to talk about this work. Um, it's been a, a passion for both of us for a number of years now. Um, tad nervous, so bear with us. Um, some of you may be more familiar with us as being called a pregnancy crisis service and we, we came to the conclusion we needed to change our name because that only said a bit about half of what we do really. Um, so after much prayer and uh, assorted names we came up with Reflect um, and the point of that, and I was interested how many times Paul used the word as we were talking, I don't think consciously either. When I was looking in study notes it's all over the place. Um, because we want people to think. What we're offering in Reflect is space and time to think. Um, and so you'll see with the logo uh, the process that we're hoping to help with. Um, you start with the uh, confusion, the muddle of the logo, and then it goes through the process of gradually unwinding, and hopefully by the end of it comes out in a straighter line. Um, I don't know what you think of the logo. When we first saw it, we were amazed, but it has been so helpful. Just when we're talking to health professionals even, to see that we're offering a process. Okay. Um, so, reflect is what we want people to do if they are pregnant and not sure what to do. Reflect is what we want people to do if they um, have had an abortion and they're struggling and they need to be able to recover. Um, and as a team, it also reminds us that we want to reflect the character of God, to be compassionate, to um, be caring, to be encouraging, to be loving, um, but also to give the basic information that people need. Um, so when we're working with men and women who are deciding what to do about a pregnancy crisis, uh, we are aiming to um, help them explore their situation, help them be aware of all the options open to them um, because adoption isn't always considered. Uh, to help them to come to a decision, no, we help them, them to come to a decision, we don't tell them what to do. And to offer support for the future, whatever they make, whatever decision they make. And then secondly, if we're working with women who are struggling after an abortion, we're aiming to help them understand to what extent they've been affected and just why and to help them grieve and to help them come to terms with what has happened and move on. And the grieving is quite a key part of it because if that doesn't happen, people don't always heal. Okay, over to Sue. I hope you can't hear my knees knocking. So when we have a pregnancy crisis referral, uh, we aim to see the woman as soon as possible women are of the opinion that they have to rush a decision one way or the other. 
And our task, as Sheila said, is to give them time and space just to consider the options and what situation they're in and what the solution might be. So we listen to their story and the circumstances that are causing such distress. And these are many and varied. It's a common belief that the majority of our clients that are referred to as are teenagers because we hear so much about teenage pregnancies, don't we? But the majority of our clients aren't. And that has been my experience. We see older women with different circumstances, such as my career prospects, what's going to happen to those. I've got no partner to support me. It was a great party, and look what's happened. Their family may not be supportive, their extended family, or they may feel that their family is complete and they just weren't expecting another baby. Perhaps financial problems, I just can't cope financially with another baby, another mouth to feed. So all these pressures are churning in their heads when they come to us. It's such a privilege for us to, to listen to their story with someone who is out of the situation and we're able to listen and give them time. So these thoughts are really churning and spinning around in their head. If you imagine a dartboard and the outside, there are sort of all these circumstances pressing in, and then we get a little bit further in the dartboard and thoughts that are going round and round spinning in their heads. These thoughts are the spinning round, and the Reflect logo shows this. It's forming like a wall or a barrier to the bullseye. And the bullseye is what the heart contains. So we call the model that we use the head-heart model. So we look at what the situation is, the thoughts, the circumstances, and these feelings that are going round and round the bullseye, and then we ask them, what is in the centre? What is your, in your heart? And often those are their core beliefs, their values, maybe their maternal nurturing instincts. And what's happening is those are being shielded by the thoughts that are spinning round. And they're just hidden away. And the outside is, is what they're thinking about. So we give them opportunity to search inside to find out their core values. And maybe they haven't really thought about abortion before. It's just something that's never come up in conversation. But now they're in this situation and they have to think, what are my values? But we do this sensitively and we're not there to judge. We, as Sheila said, we do it with compassion. Just allowing them to think and come to a decision. We've all heard of the expression, your head ruling your heart. So we're trying to, to stop that from happening and let them see the balanced situation. So we don't judge. We show compassion because that's what our God does. His mercy triumphs over judgment. I'd like to share with you through the stories that I've experienced during my time. I've been involved um, for nearly 20 years in pregnancy crisis. Um, the first was when we lived in Worcester. Before we came here, we lived in Worcester. And uh, our pregnancy crisis centre was called the Cedar Tree. Um, one day I saw a lady and she was pregnant. She already had teenage children and her husband was encouraging her to have a termination. But she had doubts. She, she didn't really like the idea of having an abortion. So she came to, to the centre and I saw her. Uh, the GP had referred her to us. And uh, after talking with her, I, I thought it might be a good idea to see them both together. So a few days later, she came along with her husband and uh, I spoke to them together. I shared the head heart with him. 
and he had a change of heart. He began to see that maybe abortion wasn't the right idea. But meanwhile, uh, this lady had been talking to her friends who had said, you, you're crazy. Teenage children, how are you going to cope with another one? And it's only a group of cells. You know, what's, the, what's the problem? So she had come totally with a different attitude. And, um, and I was just, just gobsmacked thinking, oh dear, he's now wanting her to keep the baby. And she is saying, well, maybe I was wrong beforehand. So uh, all I could do was just give them time and space and just talk together and then allow them to go along and make their decision. And often that's the hard part is to let them go. We pray. Um, our prayer team is so key to us. Uh, we have a wonderful prayer team here and uh, we just uh, give, give it to God. He knows. So, um, so I left them to it. But God is so gracious. Um, I was a health visitor and um, uh, quite a time afterwards I was helping someone else. They were poorly. I was doing their, their work for them and had to um, do an 18-month check um, in the days when we had 18-month checks. Um, and I went along to this address and uh, there was the family and there was the baby. So she was just so thrilled to see me again to say, look, I just can't imagine what I was thinking about. She's just brought such joy, this little toddler, into our lives. And uh, so God was so good because we don't always know the outcome. That's the hard part of uh, pregnancy crisis counselling. And uh, another recent uh, pregnancy crisis, I saw a young family with two children and uh, the youngest was only three months old. So you can see the problem there and she'd had postnatal depression and uh, she said, I, I don't know how I'm going to cope. And we shared the um, head-heart model and um, they found that so helpful. They just saw um, into their own hearts and beyond the, uh, the coping and the postnatal depression and um, they had decided to, to keep the baby and keeping in contact with them. And uh, she is just uh, so delighted that I went along and um, they have made, they feel the right decision. So they're expecting a baby next year. Then another recent situation uh, was a woman who found out she was pregnant just after her marriage has broken down. So she already has a child and now she's pregnant again but the husband has gone. So this is a terrible situation for her and I shared the, the head-heart model with her and she said, yes, my, my real beliefs, I just don't agree with abortion, um, I'm going to, to carry on with that. But we don't always know what's happening. And when we don't know if they've made the right decision or not, but we do promise them that whatever decision they make, we're here for them. And um, if they do go for the abortion option, we do have a recovery program that Sheila is going to explain. Thank you. Okay, um, we offer a program called The Journey and it's made up of uh, a number of steps and it's aimed first of all to help people to understand why they have a problem, just as Sue might be using it or I might be using it to help someone decide whether to continue with a pregnancy or not. We would unpack that process to help people to understand maybe because of pressures at the time it seemed in my head to be the best solution um, now it doesn't. Um, and during the journey, we're looking at a number of different emotions that people experience. They're commonly called post-abortion stress. Um, so anger, guilt and shame, and grief are common threads, for example. But we deal with a whole range of emotions. 
the idea being that something that has been secret can be then talked out thoroughly and is no longer shut away. Um, and as Sue said, we work with a variety of women, um, those who've been pressured to make a decision, those who were very clear at the time, but perhaps when they had a child, they decided that uh, that, that wasn't, you know, they regret that decision. Um, Sue and her husband, Martin, worked with uh, a guy who was really upset. He hadn't actually been able to have much say in the choice. Um, some clients are young, some clients are not so young. Um, and I'm just going to finish with a couple of testimonies. Just to say, um, if you want to know more about Reflect, if you want to know more about any part of our work, do come and talk to us. Um, we're more than happy to, to give you more detail about it. But I'll, I'll read this one testimony that uh, someone gave me. Um, she's a Christian. A few years ago, I undertook the journey with Sheila. Over 30 years ago, I had two abortions. When I became a Christian, I had confessed this to God and received forgiveness and thought it was dealt with. I wasn't aware of any ongoing problems or deeply buried guilt. However, doing the journey helped me to receive healing and compassion through God's gracious love, which went far beyond just dealing with guilt. He allowed me to name my children to know that they were safe with him, to forgive myself and look forward to one day meeting them. The journey allows you a safe, confidential environment to explore how abortion has affected you and to face issues that you may have buried for many years. It's painful at times, but ultimately a time to let God in and know the freedom from guilt, pain and fear that only he can bring. And I recommend it to anyone who has experienced abortion, even if it's many years ago. And um, when I read that story, um, which I was just given recently, I, I was just so moved. It's such a privilege to be able to help people have that deep freedom, because the more free we are in God, the more we can actually um, enjoy him and reflect just who he is. We do work with Christians and non-Christians. Um, a non-Christian who came within a month of having had the abortion, absolutely devastated, completely convinced she'd made the wrong decision. She said at the end, it has helped me to make sense of all the different emotions I felt about my abortion and shown me how to deal with them appropriately. And the thing that stuck in my mind with her was that when we got to a, a step on forgiveness, I told her that that's what we'd be doing the following week. And she said, I don't do forgiveness. I, it's just not part of our family. And she came back the next week and she'd thought about it, reflect. And she'd concluded that actually forgiveness was something that would be really helpful to her. So that's the other part of the journey that we really love, that we're often teaching people um, godly values, life skills that they can use whenever. So um, I could say a lot more but I won't because I'm told to finish now. And, uh, but thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you, Paul, for giving us the chance. As we close, um, as we close, let's stand on our feet. I must admit, it does work better standing on your feet than other things, so I, I guess uh, it's a good way to go. Um, as, as we walk away today, I, I want you to know that every single one of you is of great worth. Like every other human being on the face of the planet, you are of great worth. And from the smallest beginnings, a single cell, to a fully grown adult, you have great worth. you may want to discuss some of the things that you've heard today a bit more. And Sue and Sheila will be hanging around at the front. You may not want to talk to them here because you may feel it's a bit public. If that's the case, collect a card on the way out, a reflect card, and you can get in, you can get in contact with them without anyone else knowing, just for a chat. Or, or you, may, you may be very happy to chat this morning, and so do come, chat to them about what they're doing on the team, find out what they're doing. Also, pastoral deacons will be around the building as well. Most of you know who they are. Again, grab them for a chat, for a pray. 
Um, we, we're just here to support in whatever way we can, um, depending on what you're facing and what you're looking at. We wanted to share this this morning because we wanted to prompt further discussion. We wanted to cause us to think about these things. Cause us to pray about those things, which we will be doing tonight in the Jubilee Room at 6.30. Please come. We're going to have a short time of worship. Then we're going to get down and we're going to hear more and we're going to get down and pray. Because prayer changes things. And about some of these things, prayer is, is the starting point. It's the best place for us to move forward. And I'd also ask you that as you consider these things, please would you wrap them in compassion and love. And as you share and talk to others, please would you wrap them in compassion and love. Lord, we thank you for your grace and goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that our access to you isn't determined on our performance or, 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 or an absence of having done anything wrong. That's not our access to you. Our access is because you, Jesus Christ, paid the price for my sin, for our sin. And I ask you, Lord, would your grace and your love and your mercy come and flood our hearts and our lives afresh this morning? Lord, wherever we're at, we're at, whatever we're processing at the moment, I pray that we would know your love, your tender affection afresh. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming and listening so attentively. I know it was quite a long morning for listening. Do hang around for coffee. It'd be great to meet you if you're visiting this morning. Um, and have a great afternoon. And see you this evening at the prayer meeting. Thank you very much.